So our scripture reading this morning places us in a new territory alongside Jesus and his disciples as they encountered a man who was forced to live outside of his community. Jesus and the the disciples have left the friendly confines of Jewish territory and found themselves among the Gentiles. The gospel writer tells us just before the passage that Joan read for us, one day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Let us go across to the other side. Author Brian McLaren, in his book, The Church on the Other Side, notes that whenever Jesus and the disciples are going to the other side, as readers, we better begin to pay attention. Because what Jesus is about to do, or what Jesus is about to say in those red letters in our scripture, are going to flip a social reality of his day which in turn has the potential to flip a social reality for us 2,000 years later. Something big is about to happen, McLaren writes, every time Jesus and his disciples go to the other side. So while they were on their voyage to the other side, a storm came. And after Jesus calms the storm, revealing his authority over all of creation... Jesus and the disciples made landfall in Gerasene territory, and they were confronted by a man who was possessed by demons. We read that as Jesus stepped out of the boat, he was confronted by the man. But when we think about the man being seized and controlled by these demons, it wasn't the man that was confronting Jesus. It was the demons. Man had so many that their name was Legion. So this unnamed, possessed man was a threat to the community, a threat so much feared that he was forced, chained to live among the dead. Living in the tombs, this man would have been barely alive. The man's community spent time and resources to keep him separated from there. There were guards posted to guard him. The community removed and restrained this man so they might not be reminded of his presence. And yet, time and time again, the gospel writer tells us that their attempts were in vain because he escaped. And after he would escape, the community would remove and restrain the man again. Remove and restrain, remove and restrain, because they were afraid of what this man might do to their community. The legion of demons recognized who Christ was, even naming his divinity, son of the most high, and then the demons forced the man to kneel and pay Christ homage. The demons named legion knew what the disciples had just learned during their voyage to the other side. Jesus holds dominion over all of creation because Jesus is Lord. The legion of demons then began to negotiate the terms of the man's release, the man that they had taken up residency in. 
They begged him, the demons, not to send them back into the abyss. And then in a gospel twist of events, what the legion of demons had asked not to happen, happened. They entered into a herd of swine, pigs, and in the, probably the saddest moment of the gospel, a herd of barbecue and bacon went down a steep bank and into a lake and was drowned. The man was freed, and as his neighbors found out what had happened, just like the man who was once seized and controlled by a legion of demons, the community became seized and controlled by fear. Jesus had gone to the other side, freed this man that they had kept chained and living among the dead. And in the process of freeing this man, Jesus had destroyed a sizable economic investment and resource for this community. In freeing this unnamed man, Jesus told this community that freeing the ones that you have removed and restrained comes at a cost Rather than seeing their neighbor as freed from the bondage that he had experienced and welcoming him home, the community was seized and controlled by fear and turned on Christ. Jesus, in freeing the man, revealed that the community's own self-interests were more important than the grace and mercy they had just witnessed. The community's self-interest was more important than welcoming and freeing the one that they had removed and restrained from their sight. You'll notice that on the bulletin cover this morning, we're in the midst of a new sermon series, Simply Put. It's the summer, during the summer, it's a time when we seek simplicity. It's a break from school, and so we try to find rest, whether it's through vacations or spending just more time at home with our families. And yet, the busyness of the coming months offers us sometimes anything but simplicity. So this summer, we're going to explore the scripture readings each week. We're going to look at the texts not for theological revelations, not any deep theological meaning, but instead we are going to look at these texts simply. So simply put, this morning, me, you, we as a community, we're not Jesus. It's easy to read this story and think that we, or me, or maybe you, are the one offering freedom to those who are on the margins, freedom to those who have been removed and restrained. But if we're not Jesus in this story, then perhaps we are the disciples, the disciples who are watching from a safe distance, or maybe we're the man who has now been freed by Christ. I don't want to discount the freeing power that Christ has displayed in your life. Because the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is ever present where people have been removed and restrained. But in this story, in stories where Jesus goes to the other side, we appear more often than not, wherever we view the other, the one restrained and removed from the community as something to be fixed or a problem to be solved 
Jesus saw this unnamed man looking past the legion of demons who took up residency in his body while the community saw the man as a problem that needed to be solved, a situation that needed to be addressed. In vain attempts to protect their own self-interests, in our attempt to protect our own self-interests, we run the risk of using them, the other, to show or highlight what is so right about us by emphasizing the otherness of them. We use the nakedness and the shame we create for them to cover our own and mask our own shame. Whenever, is, whenever Jesus is teaching and healing, more often than not, we are not the people we like to think ourselves to be in the story. While many of us have been once lost and then found like the prodigal son, I suspect that many of us in that story are more like the older brother standing outside the party with our arms crossed, mumbling under our breath about what a screw-up our younger brother is. And all about me, self-centered mentality, puts us in the story where we simply do not belong. We are not Jesus, and yet time and time again, we try to reallocate the agency of the Most High Son for ourselves. Because like the rich young ruler who wanted to know what it would take to enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus may ask us to send something down that steep hill and into the abyss that we are not quite ready to give up. It was Jesus who freed the man who had been removed and restrained by his community, not the disciples. It was Jesus that freed the man by removing the restraints placed on him by his community and not some good, do-gooder, bleeding-heart liberal that felt the need to step in because they finally felt guilty enough about the situation. So thanks be to God that we are not Jesus. Because how often do we ignore the bondage of those removed and restrained from our own communities? How often do we fail to act when we see a person laying by the side of the road and choose to pass by this person on the other side rather than bandaging the person's wounds, extending mercy and grace? Jesus extended freedom and mercy to this unnamed man. And Jesus extends freedom and mercy through his bride, the church universal, when we respond, whenever we respond, to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we go to where we are sent by the Most High Son. When we respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit and we go, engaging in acts of justice and mercy, we then are instruments of Christ's grace and mercy. We are able to be used by Christ, but we are not Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus told the disciples, I will not leave you orphaned, I am coming to you. The Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send to you, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So while we may not be Jesus, like those removed and restrained and living among the dead, Jesus doesn't leave us to ourselves. Jesus doesn't leave those removed and restrained living among the dead to themselves. 
Jesus steps out of the boat, steps into the land of the other, the lands that we create for us and the lands we create for them to protect them from us. And Jesus extends God's grace and mercy. We, all of us, are recipients of God's extravagant grace. We receive that grace when we emerge from the waters of our baptism. We are recipients of that grace when we gather around the table of the Most High Son. And when we emerge from those waters and we commune around this table, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, God's Counselor, and we are able to be used by Christ to extend the very same invitation to God's extravagant grace that we ourselves so dearly rely on. The healed man returned and rejoined his community. This man was the first missionary to the Gentiles. This healed man was a physical reminder of not only Christ's authority over all of creation, but also a reminder of God's unwavering love. Jesus has and Jesus will continue to enter into our lives, entering into this community even if we are seized and possessed by fear, fear of giving up our own self-interest and living as Lord of what we think we are creating. Thanks be to God that his grace and mercy are unwavering. Amen.